1: my friends i am vivian mcpeak and this is hemp resent if you'd like to contact me about any of my shows or guests email me at hempresent at gmail.com dr uma donabalan is the founder and ceo of global health and hygiene solutions llc uplifting health and wellness cannabis as a global solution TM. She is available to see people of all ages with various conditions worldwide. She specializes in family medicine, occupational and environmental health, and heavy metals. She is also licensed in several states to certify patients for cannabis. Other services she offers include public speaking, being an expert witness and providing certification letters for work. and I have her with me today to tell us all about it. Welcome Uma to Hemp present.
2: Welcome so much. It's happiness to be here. And I'm really happy to be here, Vivian, and I'm excited to share some knowledge today with you.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And I know you have so much to share. Um, let's just start a little history. Can you tell us why you entered medicine and and what the trajectory uh, is that brought you to your practice today?
2: First of all, I started this whole journey with medicine when I was a little kid. I've always been a curious child, and my recollections of my family has always been you wanted to be a doctor. You would bring in the the dirtiest kid, clean them up, and send them back out. And this was in Bombay, India. And so I've always been about caring for people and improving things. And it didn't matter who they were. To me, it's all about the same thing and having a better quality of life. Um, this was in Bombay, India in, in the 60s. I was born in 1962. And we came to the United States, we just celebrated an anniversary. December 5th, 1970, I came to America. And we've been here and I've traveled back and forth to India on several occasions. And I've gone through so many detours in my life to finally attain that MD degree in my life. I finally attained it after four detours. My fourth time was a charm. And I finally finished medical school in 1995 at New Jersey, in New York, New Jersey. And then I did my residency in family medicine. But prior to that, I've always been involved in healthcare. I did tissue culture work. I did animal research, human research. I've been around as a lab rat. I also had the fortune of going to the chemical plants. And working with my dad, who's a chemical engineer, and worked for BP in India. He worked for Park Davis. He worked for Helene Curtis. And Park Davis is one of the companies we'll talk about later, because they were one of the earlier people that was manufacturing cannabis products and tinctures Mm -hmm. and medications back in the 1850s. Wow. And so my dad has always been there and very much a process-minded person, and I still feel like that's where I am totally the combination of my parents. Mm -hmm. My mom was the first woman in South India to get her master's in statistics, and always about perseverance and persistence, and education was always a key factor in my family. And that's what really brought us to America in 1970, was education. and. (sighs) How, how how did you get interested in cannabis as a treatment? I got involved with cannabis as a treatment. wasn't until 2010. And fast forward, I was at the Hanford site in Washington State, where you are right now in Washington. And it's Han- really... Hanford, very- the,
1: the Hanford nuclear uh
2: site. Yes. Yes. A lot of people don't know that... There was two bombs dropped in Japan. One was a plutonium bomb and one was a uranium bomb. The plutonium bomb was made at the Hanford site. And many people that, you know, created the bomb had no idea they were involved in creation of the bomb there. But I went to Hanford in 2010 with my background as a family doctor, specialized in heavy metals.
1: I'm an And, and Hanford's
2: of- one of the more polluted places in America, isn't it? It was the world's largest cleanup site, the world's largest cleanup site for plutonium. And that's where my job was and how the good Lord works in some in miraculous ways that that's where he wanted me to be. And um, I was working for the federal government, working with my background. And I was, I am a medical review officer, which involves drug testing. So I was at the Hanford site drug testing people. And if they tested positive for THC, the chemical, the psychoactive or the intoxicating chemical in THC, they had the potential of losing their job. At the same time, my mom was dying of lung disease. She had never, ever touched a cigarette in her life. And she was given a death sentence. And... um There was nothing that was offered to her. And definitely cannabis was never an option. And all we knew was that she was going to have a terminal condition and she was already on oxygen at that time. And my parents were spending six months in India and six months here. And I could still remember when my mother said they're using ganja and I got it I knew what that word was. And I beelined it into the bedroom. And she said, they're using ganja to treat COPD, asthma, lung cancer, and PTSD. And that's when the curiosity, the, the child in me came out again and really um, was in awe, to, did not compute, you know. What do you mean right, you're gonna right. smoke weed and it's gonna help you breathe and make you feel better? But right. that my was counter
1: and that was counter to all of the, the propaganda at the
2: time. Not only propaganda as a but clinician Yeah, you know, as a doctor, we told people don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke. And you know, all the bad things of why you didn't want people smoking. And to start to tell people start smoking, and that just smoke weed, you know, which was totally illegal at that time and still continues to be federally illegal I kept my mouth shut but I did not stop there I kept on learning and learning and reading and you know met some of my mentors and really got actively involved and met a gentleman and I started to write recommendations for cannabis and I was doing this um from Richland Washington after my job ended I didn't uh, well 2010 let me back up 2010 I see this TV program my mother tells me about kept my mouth shut kept learning about it did my job my mother dies January 7th, 2012 the anniversary is coming up and I suffer with my own PTS and I call it post traumatic strength now not stress I call it the strength in me the like badass in me it's brilliant it is and I feel like that's this part of the message that I share with people is that you know we're all going to die and how do we want to die And what are the options that we have? And I certainly could have done better for my mom. And that's why I do what I do today as part of my roots. And what I did learn is that this also comes back to my culture about Ayurvedic medicine. And after my mother died, I decided I have to make some changes. And I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I said, I'm leaving the, the practice world that I knew and started to write recommendations in the state of Washington. And at that time, it was nothing. There was no safety net for me. There was no legalization. There was no, um, you know, people protecting you. But I went into it. And then in December of 2012 is when Obama signed the protection where doctors were not going to be gone after if they were in states and they avoid by the laws and everything else. So I started to see patients and it was all adult patients. And then fast forward 2014, I moved to Massachusetts and I was working with Mickey Martin, who was a badass in his own time and uh, was an activist and an advocate and said, come to Massachusetts. I want to start a school and you should start your practice here. And that's how I ended up in Massachusetts and the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis, which was one of the first schools in the East coast was started. And I taught the medical curriculum there and had my clinic there. And then uh, now my youngest patient is one and my wow. eldest patient is 98. And wow. I truly get to practice family medicine. That is, awesome. I haven't written an opioid in almost 20 years of my life. And I say that cannabis is not for everybody yet it should be a first-line option and not the last resort.
1: We're going to hold that thought. We're going to go to a quick break, and we're going to come right back. Uh, This is all fascinating.
2: Time to roll out for the people that let us present.
3: Hang loose. We're coming right back.
1: We're back with Dr. Uma Dhanabalan. Uma, the science of cannabis is really advancing these days, and we know so much more than we knew just a few years ago. What about cannabis medicine right now excites you the most?
2: Well, we have a few trademarks. Um, We have Dr. Uma Says and cannabis, the exit drug. And I really believe in these two things as part of the excitement now. Let me say that again. It's part of the excitement now because we have a clinician that's a Harvard graduate that has a whole different lifestyle and I can really say I'm proud of what I do. And we have some options and alternatives and the science is there. We have the endocannabinoid system and we can use cannabis as an exit drug for pharmaceuticals, narcotics, alcohol, nicotine and even for death and dying, palliative care, hospice, I feel like these are something that we share globally. Everybody's gonna die one day. Why not be able to give this as a choice, as an alternative, provide the research, provide the education and the solution. And that's where I look at it as CARES, choices, alternatives, research, education, and solutions. And that's what I look at this plant for. I look at it for the five Ps, that this plant is for people, it's for pets, not just the ones that we have in our home but the produce that we consume if the animals were fed hemp as part of their food supplement they too would not suffer from illnesses or inflammation which some, the, to, some of them used to be absolutely they were and that's why you know we've changed so many things in in health and wellness throughout the years but the produce the pets the planet We're talking about climate change and what we're facing today and all the plastics and everything else. If we planted hemp, we could rejuvenate, recreate, Mm -hmm. replenish, reclaim our land. Restore. Absolutely restore this planet for everybody. Leave it better, hopefully, than what we found it as. So the planet and and what we can do for it. Peace. Oh, my God. If. We did not have the prisoners locked up all over the world for a plant. They should be saving those people's lives and putting them on pedestals for the fact that they stood up for this plant and was able to do it properly and provide patients with medicine that they didn't have access to. So if we had this whole thing wiped out, that this plant was not federally or globally illegal, where the world would be peace on earth and profit. And I don't mean just dollar signs. I mean your health and wellness, the profit, the money, that no amount of money can give you your health and wellness. So those are the five Ps that I've been really preaching out there about the plant. People, pets, the planet, peace, and profit. And there's only one of you.
1: Wow. You know, the environmental aspects that the climate change um, mitigation is one of the pet peeves I have on this show. And I've probably done more shows, as many shows on that as, as anything. Um, and my tagline for my life is saving the planet for fun and profit. If you can be saving the planet, having fun and surviving, man, then you're hitting my three uh, key things. Um, this is just really exciting. You, you specialize in family medicine, occupational, environmental health and heavy metals. I'm really interested in heavy metals. Uh, What exposure risks might be associated with working in the cannabis industry or being a cannabis consumer when it comes to heavy metals? I think a lot of people have no concept on this issue.
2: It is something that's so passionate to me. And, you know, I'm also a diplomat in cannabinoid medicine. And as a medical review officer, I've been involved with drug testing. So part of this is so fascinating because, again, we... No, recently there was a death in Massachusetts of a worker that died right here from asthma. And my background has been in occupational medicine because occupational medicine is a subspecialty of preventative health, preventative medicine. There's three subspecialties under preventative medicine, public health, occupational medicine, and um, aerospace. And people don't realize that aerospace has its own little preventative health. Division of it. So, the things that concern me right now is I want people to understand that this plant is a bioaccumulator. What does that mean, Dr. Uma? What that means is this plant sucks up everything and holds on to it for dear life. And I want this image in your mind of this plant doing this. So, just as much as it's the positive effects. They've used it in Chernobyl and other places. It's a bioremediator, remediator we- right? It, just, exactly. it can suck things.
1: It can suck radiation. It can suck heavy metals. It can suck exactly. things out of the ground. and just. But the problem is when it sucks all that up, it sucks it up into its own cells,
2: right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for understanding this. And this is what people have to understand. We're like that in the sense that sponges suck up everything. So what's happening is, as you know, this plant is now being processed. So, if somebody, let's talk about how they consume it. If they took the dried flour and consumed it by just making a tea, they're still consuming it, ingesting it. If they inhale it by either vaporization or combustion, and vaporization can be dabs, rosin, isolates. There's such an array of products, but what is happening is they're solvent and solvent less. So even if you talk about if you're not using any solvents and you press this plant, it's concentrating everything that it has sucked up. So in this case, I call it saw solutions, and I want to come back to that. But saw solutions is educating people about the fact the soil, the substrate that you're growing this plant in, look into it, the air that this is being exposed to, outdoor, indoor, whatever the air quality. And the water, what are the liquids? What's, what is it being watered with? These three things are going to be key in understanding what the impact of the plant is going to be and how the end user consumes it. So that's and, the and key. And might message. be
1: the terroir, right? Uh, what some people refer to as the terroir, the, the environmental aspects which make wine, for example, what it is. And that's going to be the air, the soil, and the water of that region, right?
2: Exactly. And this is where... You know, I've been very fortunate that I've got a rock-solid foundation education. And if somebody had ever told me, Dr. Um, you're going to be the voice of cannabis, I would have probably asked them, what kind of drugs have you been doing, <laughs> right? But honestly, I feel very fortunate because lead is another thing that has evolved. OSHA was created in 1970, the year I came to this country. It's also the year that... um Cannabis was put in, Controlled Substance Act was created and put it into Schedule 1, meaning that there was no medical use, no medical research and a potential for abuse. But what OSHA did was that it was created to prevent fatalities and the safety and health of the workers. And we're not following these principles right now with the cannabis industry. And I'm actually writing an article about it that will be coming out very soon. But that's the things that I want people to get the message also today. And my son and I are committed to that, who's the CEO of the company, is that we want people to become educated consumers and customers. And that's what we're doing today. We're educating people to say, look and understand what you're consuming. If it's your food, if it's your cannabis, what is it that you're putting in your body? What are you surrounding yourself with? And what are you contributing to this planet? You know, what is it? And
1: and if I could boil this down real quick, because we have another break coming up. when, what people need to think about is, first of all, whatever somebody's using to grow the plant, what the nutrients they're putting into it, et cetera, are they washing it appropriately? Do they know the procedure? Are there yeah. is there testing on the commercial? Is there testing? Is there, there reliable yes. testing? Is there any accountability, right, or oversight yes. to the testing facilities? And then if you're using a concentrate, if there were traces of something, mold, yeah or heavy metals or anything in the weed, you concentrate it. Now you've got 10, 15, 20 times more of whatever was in it, right? And it could be poisonous to you.
2: Absolutely, and we need to talk about that as well because um, I don't know if you've heard this, all of these talk about hyperemesis syndrome now, people puking. And I truly believe, honestly, it's that people they are getting flagged because their bodies are saying i can't take anymore and it's that microaccumulation toxic reaction it is and i truly believe if it's, it's the the factor that the mitochondria is being affected and i really feel like on a cellular level the cannabis plant is also being altered now because we're treating it differently we're processing it we're radiating it we are manipulating it we're remediating it if there's mold in it, they're remediating it to make it into another product, but we've changed the plant on a cellular level. And we don't know what the impact of this is going to be long term. Fascinating
1: stuff. We got to go to another break. Um, and we're going to come right back and continue this conversation.
3: Time to roll out for the people that let us Hemp Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back.
1: Back on Hemp Present with Dr. Uma on a Uh Uma, can you describe quickly what some of the symptoms are for heavy metal exposure and maybe how you would treat it?
2: And that's exactly what's interesting. They could be so nonspecific. You know, they could start with just my belly hurts. I have a headache. I'm not sleeping well. I have a little bit of nausea. I have a little bit of vomiting, you know, and they could be par- I'm not always there and they could come and go. And this is where testing of our products And this too, you know, all states are testing, but there's no standardization in testing. And so what I tell people is if you are a cannabis user and not just a cannabis user, heavy metal exposure is happening in your backyard. Right. Okay. So um, I trained in South Carolina. I have a dear friend of mine who's dealing with her grandkids that have heavy metal poisoning. And so Heavy metal toxicity can be happening everywhere. Please understand where what the sources can be, where you are, and ask questions, read labels, and really understand that this plant has been around for thousands of years. We have an endocannabinoid system that's a mere 600 million years old. It's evolved from a C-squirt to what we have in humans today. Understand that there's receptors. This is not just Dr. Umat making stuff up. This is real. There's And and, and am I
1: right that the thing about heavy metals toxicity is that it's accumulative, which means you might have a little exposure in your house, a little exposure in your yard. And then if you're smoking weed and it accumulates and it, it stays in your body
2: until you chelate it out. Is that right? Yeah. Or you can eliminate it out. And this is where, you know, I said my background is in heavy metals. And my first exposures with understanding heavy metals was when I was doing my residency at Harvard and, we had a set of twin brothers that were painters and one had a habit of washing his hands and the other one did not. Both of them were smokers. And I still remember they both married women named Mary Jane. And what was funny was one had very bad heavy metal toxicity because he did not wash his hands. And that repeated exposure of the metals on the cigarette was being inhaled through his body and the accumulation, over time can present with neurological symptoms, and it can be deadly. And I want to use that word boldly, deadly. So a plant that has killed nobody can now become a potential of a lethal drug. And you have people using it for medicine, right? And if you're a patient, then this is a major issue, correct? We are all patients. That's one thing I want to make clear to everybody. Please understand that the segregation of medical and adult use is another way that they're fooling us, folks. Please understand that it's all. Do you medicine. agree that all use is medical use? Absolutely. Because I do of your
1: endocannabinoid that. system.
2: Yes, I, I try to make a joke out of it. We don't say, "Well, my GI system is going to be working medically between the hours of eight to twelve, <laughs> and it's going to be working recreationally between twelve to four and back." at work. No. Because all There's food a, is th- all food is medicine. Thank you. And I say cannabis is food and medicine, right? Food is medicine, but cannabis is food and medicine to me. And that's the way I look at it. And I want to talk about hemp also, that what's the difference people need to understand. We have a farm bill and hemp. And this is where all of this foods can have absorption probabilities of absorption of lead mercury, arsenic, these are all the heavy metals that we worry about, just to name a few. Cadmium, there's so many other ones, but the big ones that are well studied and very toxic are the ones that I've just mentioned. But what we need to understand is that this plant does have the potential, and even if the labs are not testing for the levels of cutoff, if it passes, if there's small amounts, and as you said, repeated use, accumulation can be toxic if our people that are using it for children and cancer treatment and it's metabolized differently you're right it can become the poison not the not the plant for prevention and treatment
1: and maintenance um we are getting short on time so i just want to make sure that we we uh, get this in uh how, how might somebody follow you in your work
2: um I am on social media. I don't do a lot of it, but I'm on Facebook. And But they can reach me and help me with more social media and pass. Spread the word. If you've learned something today, please share this with others and tag me and let people know I'm there to educate, embrace, and empower people. Those are our three tag words. I'm at upliftinghealthandwellness@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's our website as well. Our phone number is 508 444 Two, three, two, four, and we see all patients, all ages, all over the world.
1: We got a little over a minute and a half. Um, is, what should the average cannabis consumer be look? Is there anything a cannabis consumer should be considering or looking for when they go to buy
2: buy their their weed? See if there's a label on it. Check. We learn to read labels, and that's not just for cannabis. That's for the foods we consume. It's for anything that you consume. Your toothpaste, the body products that you use your cleaning products, learn to read labels. That's the biggest thing that we want people to understand. And I hope that we will have a standardization on labels uh, throughout the nation and globally. Uh, I would love to see a label that will say, what's a serving? And what it could be a range. It doesn't have to be an exact amount because it is a plant and it can vary. Some of these laboratory testings that are elevating their levels, that creates a lot of concerns for me. So if you all have right. concerns, get your product
1: tested. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Uma Danibalin. Uh, you're amazing. And I appreciate you giving this information and sharing the lifetime of, of knowledge you've accumulated with us.
2: I thank you and thank you for everything that you're doing. And my mission is to change the stigma and for everybody in the world to know that we have an endocannabinoid system and I do it through education. And I thank you all, happy holidays. And remember, health and wellness is the key to life. All
0: right.
1: That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. The Hemp Present intro music is Seven Mile Beach by Joanne Rand. The outro music is Take Back the Plant by Stickerbush. That's it, my friends. Stay strong.